Well, friends, it's good to be in God's presence together again. My name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here. One of the great joys of my life is, is being a part of this community. I want to also say welcome to everybody who's online or will be experience this message on our podcast or on our website later on in the week. I want you to picture this. You're going down I-35 and some maniac is just tailgating you within inches of your bumper. They speed around you, blaze past you, they hit the NOS or whatever. <laughs> I saw Fast and Furious 8 or whatever it was, we're on now. And then a couple miles later, you see that same car pulled over. What is the emotion? Yes! yes! There is justice in this world. Take that, tailgater! Right? There's a German term which captures this emotion better than any term we have in English. It's called Schuldenfrode. I was helped out between the service and the last service. Schadenfreude, there it is. That's joy in another person's pain. Ha! Take that, tailgater. Serves you right. Schadenfreude. Now, let's picture a different scenario. Let's go from the highway to the classroom. Students, you can probably easily relate to this, I hope. You have completed your assignment. Let's say it was a six-page paper. You've completed it on time. And out of nowhere, on the day it's due, the teacher grants an extension. Students are audibly rejoicing around you. But you got it done on time. What's your emotion then? You mad? Are you mad? What's that feeling called? Somebody said you got some free time. That's good. That's a positive uh, way to approach it. Well, if you would be mad in that scenario, again, the Germans have a better term than anything we can approximate in English. And that term is Glückschmerz. Yeah. <laughs> Tell somebody at your 4th of July party you learned about Glückschmerz at church. This is from the combination of the German words for luck and pain. It means displeasure at another person's success. This is the antonym of Schadenfreude. This is pain in another person's joy. Now, you may have not known the German term for it, but if you're like me, you have felt this emotion before. People who get promoted at work. People who make this or that team or get this or that role in the school production. In my line of work, it's pastors who get appointed to such and such church. Glückschmerz. Your pain in another person's gain. This is one of the eternal questions explored all throughout the Bible. In Jeremiah 12.1, it asks, why do the wicked prosper? Much later, in the New Testament, Jesus would say that God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Why do those undeserving have fortunate things happen to them. God's grace is counterintuitive to us, especially when we, like the prophet Jonah, we're going to study today, especially when we don't see others as deserving of it. But that's the heart of the definition of grace. It's getting something you don't deserve. And we love it when the operative word is you, right? We love it when we get something we don't deserve. We're not always as enthused about someone else getting something good they don't deserve. So when it comes to seeing God bless people we don't think deserve it, when it comes to loving people we don't like, we've really got two options, two choices. And what I hope we'll discover together as we study God's word is that when it comes to God's grace and seeing other people receive it, 
We can get mad or we can give mercy. Two choices. We can get mad or we can give mercy. We've got a two-week tour. This is the second week of our tour through Jonah. It's a book in the Old Testament. It's only four chapters long, but there's a lot there. There's plenty to do a deep dive on. Jonah was a prophet from the northern kingdom of Israel called Judah, and he lived around 750 B.C. Last week, we looked at him fleeing God's call to go preach to the city of Nineveh. Nineveh was part of the Assyrian kingdom, which was to the north of Judah, and, and they, were his, they were Jonah's people's ancient enemies, and they would be enemies again in the future. So Jonah decides to flee on a boat. He's going to get as far away as he can, but a storm stops the boat, and he's thrown overboard in an effort to try and get the storm to stop. Jonah is then swallowed by a great fish, and he prays that God will deliver him. And we'll pick up in chapter 2 of the book of Jonah, verse 10. The Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So I want to take a minute and encourage anybody who feels far from God. Or maybe you feel like you've done so much, you couldn't possibly, God can't possibly have much to want to do with you. Jonah had tried to flee to Tarshish, and in the ancient Near East, that was the furthest known city. It's like going to Alaska in America. I'm going to get as far away as I can from Kearney. God made a path for Jonah, not only to be saved from the storm, but to give Jonah the means to return to obedience. And so if you feel far from God, I wanted somebody to tell you that there's no such thing as fleeing too far from God. If you have someone you love that is far from God, I wanted someone to tell you not to give up hope. There's no such thing as too far. Much later, another unlikely and reluctant servant of God, his name was Paul, would write this in the book of Romans. This is from the New Testament, the second half of the Bible. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor any height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I don't know what your equivalent might be of a raging storm or being vomited up by a fish. But whatever circumstances in your life cause you to repent and come back to God, those circumstances will have been good news. So Jonah finds himself back to where he started, hearing a call from God. We'll pick up in Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I will give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, this time, and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed. That's kind of a religious uh, uh, withholding uh, from food, a suspension of eating meals, a fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. That's another expression of repentance. Last week we talked about the ancient world being polytheistic or believing in many gods. And in the ancient world, the gods were viewed as fickle and unpredictable. So they weren't so much worshiped as appeased. And so the people of Nineveh 
are, they actually respond to Jonah's message. They want to appease the rage of his God at, at the evil they're doing. And so they respond. You know, I can see in their minds, Jonah had traveled, assuming the, the fish spit him out somewhere close to where he started. Jonah had traveled from Joppa, we read earlier, a port city in Israel, to Nineveh. That's a two-month journey. So why would somebody travel two months if it wasn't legitimate? Why would they waste their time like that? So Jonah's message was well-received. Jonah delivered the message. Stop being evil or be destroyed. And here's the thing. It worked. Verse 10 of chapter 3. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Mission accomplished. Jonah should be thrilled, right? Wrong. He goes into Glückschwertz mode. And what we see is that we can have two choices when we see other people receiving God's grace. We can get mad or we can give mercy. And Jonah chose to get mad. This is chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. But to Jonah, this God relenting seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. So here it is, four chapters in, we see Jonah's motive. It's now plainly known. He didn't want this to work. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah is so worked up, he claims he would rather die than see the Ninevites receive God's mercy. The Assyrians had been Jonah's people's enemy before, and they would be again in the future. Jonah saw them, the Ninevites, as the bad guys, and he wanted to deliver their death sentence. He's rooting for them to fail so he can watch their civilization pay for what they did to his. Jonah didn't come to bring the Ninevites news of God's mercy. He wanted a front row seat to their destruction. And when he doesn't get what he wants, when God doesn't do what he thinks God should do, he throws a fit. Now this would be a killer segue into me telling a story of my children throwing a fit. Two things. One, I only want to present them in a positive light. Two, our sermon budgets run a little short because I pay them whenever I do that. So I'm going to tell you a story of a fit I've had going on for about 15 years. Sarah's family had a long-standing tradition of going to see a movie on New Year's Day. I get permission for this now. Don't worry. Everybody's kind of <laughs> watching your relationship unravel before our eyes. So several years back on New Year's Day, several now, we went to go see Avatar. Now, I'm a person for whom punctuality is an aspiring desire. It's a virtue I, I do pretty well with in my job. I can show up to church on time. That's not impressive. I'm supposed to. But, you know, it's something I've worked on. I'm almost 40, so I'm doing better. But for me, it was uh, an aspiring value. However, when it came to movies, I never mess around. I want to be early. I want to see all the trivia beforehand. I want to be about 90% through my popcorn by the time... The movie actually gets going. This is the experience I want. I don't want to be rushed. I don't want to be, you know, moving over people in the seats. I, I want to get there early. And I'm like, look, if you're not early, you're late sort of thing. If you're not, right? Hate being late to movies. So my family that I've inherited 
is trying to go see Avatar, which would go on to become the largest box office movie ever at the time. And we're trying to see this movie on what is the most popular day to go see movies. You can understand how you might want to plan ahead. <laughs> so through a comedy of errors, we go to the first theater and miss the showtime completely. Okay? And then we truck it down to another theater and we arrive 10 minutes after the movie has already started. Blood pressure through the roof. And so we get tickets to see Avatar in 3D, which is more expensive, and I have a giant head, and the glasses don't quite fit over my glasses. And I'll tell you, guess where the only open seats were? Much like church. Front row, baby. That's right. That's right. I'll tell you, friends, the 3D effect of James Cameron's Avatar doesn't quite come through when you're three inches from the screen. And you got to watch it like this, right? you got to, like, turn. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just livid. Right? So that was not Avatar 2, that was Avatar 1. I think that was 2009. Since that day, I pledged to never participate in the New Year's Day movie again. <laughs> I still haven't seen Avatar a second time. The sequel came out. You think I saw that? Nope. Oh, it's on Disney Plus. Don't care. There's an Avatar ride at Animal Kingdom. Not going to ride it if I ever go. Now, friends, this was 15 years ago. Do you think that I have a spite problem? Do you think my family has lost any sleep over my refusal to see Avatar 2 or participate in any other Avatar-related intellectual properties? No. Do you think James Cameron has missed my 1750 from a ticket? No. The only people who lose out on spite is us. When we behave this way, friends, spite is not a fruit of the spirit. I wish it was. I wish it was. I would, I would, change, I would change my title. My name is Adam, pastor of spite. Uh, if you need to plot revenge against your enemies or bitterly stay home while your family has a good time on New Year's Day, come see me. Friends, I wish it were. Spite's not a fruit of the spirit. So God confronts Jonah's tantrum with the question. Jonah 4, verse 4. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? And I think that's the central question of the whole book. I think that's the whole point. Why do we get mad when other people receive mercy? The closest English word we have to glutschmerz is envy which is defined as resentful longing aroused by someone else's luck. This type of spiteful envy, this pain in other people's joy, is a pointed part of the stories that Jesus told. Two weeks ago, we looked at a story Jesus told called The Prodigal Son, where the wayward, lost younger brother returns home, and the father throws a party. But we read in Luke 15, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. Despite the father pleading, son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. In another story Jesus told, workers are recruited by an employer all throughout the day and they're promised a daily wage that was called a denarius, like a day's pay. So at 6 p.m. and the whistle blows, it's time to go get paid and the people who started working at 5 p.m., 
get paid the same amount as those who began working at 7 a.m. So when those who came who were hired first, Matthew 20 tells us, they were expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius, again, a day's wages. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. So they're mad because they think they should get paid more. Or at least those other folks should get paid less. But he, he's the landowner. These parentheses are mine. He answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Woo! Are you envious because I am generous? Do you have a right to be mad? God says to Jonah. Is it right for you to be angry? Friends, we have to rid ourselves of this envious, prideful instinct that says when someone else wins, we lose. Got to go. One of the journeys we go on as a disciple of Jesus is moving from being self-centered to being Christ-centered. Friends, just because someone else is winning does not mean we are losing. We gotta get rid of it. The story of Jonah forces us to confront our response to other people receiving God's mercy. And so will we get mad or will we show mercy? Sometimes, like Jonah, we want to see others get the max penalty, but we want mercy for us. Let's backtrack to when Jonah was in the fish, back to chapter 2. Now, it did occur to me this week, if I ever found myself in that scenario, I would not have time to compose a prayerful poem, but this is what we have in chapter 2. Jonah crying out to God. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. So Jonah disobeyed God and flees. Then he cries out for mercy. But when Nineveh has been disobedient to God, Jonah cries out for blood. Isn't that how it works? Jonah wants mercy for himself and wrath for everyone else. And if we're honest, we do this too. Who are your personal Ninevites? Who are the people committing sins that you exempt yourself from? The ones you don't happen to do. Who are the people you'd love to see get what you think they deserved? And how will you respond to them? This to me is the message of Jonah. Do you have a right to be angry? Friends, how do we follow God's call when it comes to loving people we don't like? Now, I want to say very clearly, I don't think this means pretending nothing has ever happened. And particularly in cases where you may have suffered abuse, I'm not baptizing that and saying you should just go on to get along. Those are another sermon for another time. But we, we have this thing we do where we want justice for others and mercy for us. One of the things that can help us give mercy instead of get mad is to recognize the mercy that God has shown us and to realize that we move the goalposts in our favor all the time. 
Like, I freaked out when my family was 10 minutes late to a movie for a decade. And I get to work it out publicly. I feel much better today. (laughs) For 10 years, I was mad about being 10 minutes late to a movie. But if I show up 10 minutes late to a meeting, you better believe I think I have a legitimate excuse. Isn't that what we do? When we quit making ourselves the exception and start thinking of ourselves as equally in need of God's grace, then it can help close the gap that we see between us, who deserves God's mercy, and them, who don't. That was Jonah's problem, is he thought thought of himself as somehow different than the Ninevites. But God saw the Ninevites very differently than Jonah did. We read in verse 11 that God described the people of Nineveh as people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. They don't know any better. Centuries later, Jesus would say something similar when he looked down upon the crowds of people, that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. How do we view people? I didn't set out this week, on, especially on Independence Day, to have like this German theme throughout the whole deal. But I'm going to give you one more. I want to tell you about a quote that has really marked my life uh, from a theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German theologian and he taught at NYU, but he went back to his native Germany during World War II to help resist Hitler. He led an underground seminary and he was eventually executed in a concentration camp. And so when you read Bonhoeffer, I mean, every word jumps off the page like, man, this, this guy really believes this. He really did it. He wrote this in his book, Letters and Papers from Prison. If this were a Bible verse, it would be my favorite one. I have this committed to memory. We must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or omit to do and more in the light of what they suffer. We must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or omit to do and more in the light of what they suffer. The Holy Spirit can help us view people less like Jonah did and more like God does. In Romans, we read this. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the gospel. And when we see ourselves equally in need of God's mercy, we can see others as equally worthy of God's love. Because Christ died for all of us before we had it together. Christ died for all of us when we were trying to run away. Christ died for all of us because we didn't know any better. And so it's good news then that God's mercy isn't just for us, but for everyone. Friends, when we see others as equally in need of God's mercy as we are, then we can begin to respond to God's love for people that we don't like by giving grace instead of getting mad. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for this appointment with you. We confess that sometimes we have our own little Ninevite list. 
and that we're at best annoyed and at worst vengeful when we think about the wicked prospering, when we think about the list of things that we don't think that we don't think deserve your mercy. So God, help us not to have a spirit like Jonah, spiteful and angry. Help us to rid ourselves of the lie that if other people are winning, it means we're losing. And God, help us to see everyone through your eyes. That every single we would person, every single person we would meet, we don't know what they have suffered. And we do know that you died for them too. God, help us to freely give away your mercy in the same way we received it, freely. Give us the eyes to perceive how we can deliver your good news. Give us ears to perceive who you're calling us to go love, especially when it happens to be people we may not like. God, we thank you that even when we try to flee, you pursue us, you don't give up on us, and nothing can separate us from your love. Thank you for the good news of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen.